0: Welcome back to the Make and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Macon. In today's episode, we have Kelsey George from Make and Wellness. Our team at Make and Wellness is on a mission to eliminate the stigma behind mental health, and Kelsey and I talk a little bit more about this. Make sure you follow us, leave us a positive review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Kelsey George healthy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Well, I'm excited to have you. The feeling is mutual. So what originally inspired you to become a therapist?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I always say that I became interested in psychology without realizing I was interested in psychology. So I had never taken a psychology class in undergrad, and I actually barely even knew uh, what Freud even stood for back in the day. Right. But it started off um, when I graduated from college and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I got my certification to teach yoga, and that's kind of how it started. I started reading all kinds of different books, started reading Brene Brown, Eckhart Tolle, Michael Singer. And then, you know, in conjunction with that, I actually started my own experience in therapy. And I had such a great experience on the client side of things that really kind of solidified and topped it off that made me realize I was interested.
0: That's fascinating that you mentioned the experience of being a client, because it's a very common thing I hear among therapists is that they had either an amazing experience in therapy or a terrible experience in therapy. And that's like what inspired them to become a therapist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, fortunately I was lucky enough that I had a really great experience. I actually was in therapy for about three years. And to this day, I still have a great relationship with my therapist. And I know that I could always kind of reach back out if I ever wanted to start up
0: sessions again. That's amazing. So what does mental health awareness mean to you?
1: Mental health awareness really to me is Destigmatizing this idea of talking about feelings, right? Talking about emotions. Quite frankly, I grew up in a house where I was told that I was too sensitive, too emotional, too dramatic.
0: And oh, I I've was- heard dramatic before too. Right? <laughs> You're not alone with that. Yep, yep.
1: I was the drama queen back in the day. And what's interesting is I always used to think of those attributes as weaknesses, but it took me a really long time to learn to really embrace those qualities about me and to really realize that it's not only okay to feel deeply, but in fact that it's celebrated now and, and it's one of my strengths. So kind of in sum, you know, that means normalizing talking about emotions. And now talking about feelings doesn't always mean trusting, everything that you feel, but you know, that is a a different path to go down.
0: Yes, definitely. I like how you mentioned not trusting everything that you think and feel because just because you think and feel something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. And this is, this is something that we talked about with Melissa's podcast is just because you think something doesn't mean that it is reality. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm, Absolutely. And, you know, I think that there is this idea of people who aren't in mental health that think that all therapists do is validate, validate and tell their clients that everything's okay. But it's important to note that, you know, we sure do a lot of validating simply because we're aware of the literature and we know how prominent most of these symptoms are. And I don't know about you, but I'm also doing a lot of challenging, right? And Mm -hmm. if we constantly tell our clients that how they feel is okay, then how do we expect them to change? change or get better. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's important to validate, but also to give guidance and to give feedback on different ways of improving your client's mental health, because if they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, you keep validating that they're not going to change.
1: Of course. Of course. Yeah. If we want to continue to pro- promote mental health awareness, then we need to keep encouraging people that, hey, talking about feelings and emotions is, is a good thing. And I think in turn, it actually makes you a more, you know, a stronger person at the end of it.
0: Yes, absolutely. So why do you think there's still stigma behind mental health? So kind of similar
1: to what I was just mentioning, I think there is this stigma that talking about emotions can make you, you know, soft or weak when, you know, just as I mentioned, when in fact, being able to articulate and recognize your emotional state is really something I think only highly emotionally attuned people can do. And emotions aren't necessarily good or bad or right or wrong. They are simply states and signals that enable us to pay more attention to the events that create them. And I, I, think that the people who are in tune with their emotions have a very strong advantage over people who do not simply because they are more aware of those signals. And, you know, unfortunately, we're still catching up with history where 25 to 30 years ago, you know, back in the 20th century, most people who sought out therapy were labeled as the mentally ill. And we're, and, you know, we're at, we as therapists are responsible too, because therapists and psychologists across the board only focused on pathologies and asked the question of what's wrong With you, how can we fix you? But now, with you know more of the positive psychology movement, something that I'm very passionate about, we are evolving from that question and asking, you know, what makes you thrive? How can your life be better? And you know, I have clients coming to therapy all the time that suffer from you know minor depressive and anxious symptoms and are really just curious about getting to know themselves better. So I think once we put that stigma really behind us, that's when true growth can really start to happen.
0: Yes, definitely. And it's just like considering when you go to a doctor because you broke your arm and you get your arm in a cast and your arm eventually ends up getting better. Like why is there no stigma behind that? That there's a stigma behind doing the same thing when it's your brain and your mental health.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great comparison. And I have optimistic have an optimistic view that we're continuing to break that stigma as time moves on. So that's obviously a good thing as well.
0: Yes, definitely. It's, it's part of our mission for sure is to help to eradicate the stigma behind mental health. Another thing that you said that I really liked was talking about how being emotionally aware is such a positive thing I sometimes think about emotional awareness, similar to like a gas gauge on your car. Mm -hmm. And if you are self-aware and you see that you're going towards empty you can go to the gas station, get gas and fill up your tank. And it's like Mm -hmm. the same thing with your mental health. Like the more self-aware you are, the more emotionally aware you are. You can not necessarily freak out because you're Barometer is going on empty, like you, you'll then know okay, it's time for me to practice some self care, to do yoga, to, to see my therapist, to do different things to fill yourself back up to full. Absolutely. And what's
1: the most fascinating thing as a mental health professional is realizing that some people simply aren't even aware of that barometer, right? They don't even know that, that one is there in their, in their psyche. So even just the first step of becoming aware of that barometer and then trying to really get to know it and understand it personally, it's imperative. And it's imperative we learn to do that so we can function at our highest capacity in society.
0: Yes, so we can thrive and not just live and go through the motions. Absolutely, yeah. So what kind of things can people do to reduce the stigma behind mental health? That's a good question. I
1: I would say embrace it own it, talk about your story of times when you were lower and times when you were higher in your life. And most importantly, to be confident about your choice to attend therapy. Whenever I have clients that I can kind of tell that maybe they're a little shameful about being in therapy, I I explore that with them. And I say, hey, what holds you back? What are you shameful about with being here? I think those types of questions are really important
0: like getting into the root of why people feel shame, which is mm-hmm. something that Brene Brown talks about so much is shame.
1: And it's interesting, a lot of the client's responses, right, as to the different reasons of why. And a lot of it too is simply upbringing, right? And a lot of that I see is with the younger generation of feeling shameful about what their parents might say, right, that's a common theme as well.
0: hmm very prevalent for sure. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's a link between mental health stigma and people not getting proper treatment? I would say yes,
1: absolutely. I think a big reason why people do not seek therapy is because of the stigma. I think especially now that's more the reason because other reasons, such as, you know, transportation to the office or, you know, maybe therapy being too costly are simply irrelevant in the pandemic now that everything is telemedicine. And I mean, insurances have been waiving copays for almost a full year now.
0: Yeah. So first most- time they've ever done anything like that, people. First yeah.
1: <laughs> Right. And so for most of my clients, I mean, they have essentially been getting free therapy for a year. And I mean, that's kind of incredible if you think about it. And, you know, the the virtual movement has really um, broken down those barriers. However, that's not to say that folks that don't have health insurance are, they're certainly left out, but that's another issue I'll refrain from getting into. So oh, yeah,
0: that's a whole other podcast series. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> (laughs) So Kelsey, if someone is struggling emotionally right now, what words of wisdom do you have for them?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm like putting my therapist hat on and I'm imagining I'm sitting in front of a client who who just told me that. My gut reaction is to normalize it and to say that it's okay um, and that it is nothing to be shameful about, especially right now in this crazy world we are living in. However, as I mentioned before, there is this perception from people in the that are aren't in the mental health field that therapists kind of tell clients all that they want to hear, and that's not necessarily true. So if we tell our clients that how they feel is okay, then again, how do we expect them to ever change and get better? So while I say it's okay to struggle emotionally, it's also treatable and fixable and absolutely possible to learn new ways of thought and healing properly. So I think it's this fine line of normalizing it and saying it's okay while at the same time, you know, giving them hope and a chance to really, again, kind of get to know themselves better.
0: Yes, definitely. The hope part is so important because there's so much doom and gloom all the time online and in the news and different things. By the time a client interacts with someone, whether it's a therapist or whomever, that inspires them and helps them to recognize that there is hope that they can get better, it can be so transformative.
1: Absolutely. It, it really can. And I think it's a therapist's job to really, again, find that fine line of, you know, validation and meeting them in that emotional state while at the same time, bringing that nice dose of optimism in as well.
0: Yes. So have you encountered any type of toxic positivity or anything like that?
1: Do you mean from my own clients?
0: Um, just in general, because and the reason why I mentioned that is because you're talking about like realistic optimism. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot about toxic positivity nowadays. Yes, I, I see
1: where you're going at, where, where you're getting at. And I think where my mind is going is to kind of going back to how I was raised. Whenever there was any kind of problem or issue, or maybe I wasn't feeling the best, My family was prime at that toxic positivity, right? Saying you've nothing to be anxious about. So, Mm -hmm. so get over it and move on and life is fine and appreciate your blessings. And when I think of toxic positivity, I also think how sometimes even gratitude can be kind of weaponized, right? In that sense where, Hey, you've nothing to be upset about. So you should just be happy. And unfortunately the road to becoming happier just isn't really quite that simple.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey full of ups and downs. And I think to having this conversation about toxic positivity is so important because sometimes people confuse gratitude or mental health healing with toxic positivity. And they think that like, I'm going to come out of mental health therapy with this attitude that everything is fine and everything is amazing. And that is definitely not the case. And if you're in a situation where you're constantly Getting invalidated, and people are telling you, like, at least it's not that bad, or at least you have a roof over your head. Just know that they're not genuinely being emotionally supportive, and that is a sign of toxic positivity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's what we're finding right now. The research right now that those, that type of language, when someone is struggling while that person might mean, well, it's just simply not effective, right? It's not effective to hear. We'll look at all the good things in your life. That's not what someone in a struggling state needs to hear at that moment.
0: Yes, definitely not. Like at that point, they want to feel validated and supported and to have some sliver of hope even if even if it's just a little tiny bit that potentially things could get better.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And again, that's why I think therapists need to be very careful of how they deliver some of that positivity or optimism right into session because clients definitely I think society can can give us that toxic positivity and the last thing they need is therapists saying that in the room, right?
0: Yes, definitely. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kelsey. This was such an amazing conversation. You're such a wonderful provider. And we're we're so happy to have you here and to share your wisdom with our audience.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. I am so grateful to be a part of the Make and Wellness team. I I can't talk about how how great of a company this is to work for and how happy I am to be here. So thank you again for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. And that was my interview with Kelsey George. One of the things that stuck out to me was how she sees emotional sensitivity and being open as a strength because it really is a strength. Remember to follow us, leave us a positive review if you enjoyed this episode and share this episode with everyone you know. Check out our website at makeandwellness.com where you can download a free 101 coping skills worksheet. We also have an amazing newsletter that shares lots of free mental health relationship and addiction resources. I'm Sarah Macon, and I look forward to connecting with you on our next episode.
1: We appreciate you joining us for this installment of the Macon Wellness Podcast. Help us find more great listeners like yourself by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. Visit makingwellness.com for more in-depth resources geared towards improving your mental health. We look forward to speaking with you again at our next session.